Welcome to Make It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. Each episode will have an inspiring guest tell their story of overcoming obstacles, never settling, and making it happen. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and review. So grab a coffee. Hope you enjoy the pod. Let's go. Okay, so we are live. Welcome to Making It Happen. I'm your host, Tom Dalton. Uh, I'm delighted to say we're on episode number 15. Our next guest is an Irish entrepreneur, owner of What's Up, uh, sorry, What's Up uh, Studio, Killian Moffat. Have I got that pronunciation right, Killian? You did. You got that spot on there, Tom. Um, so, Killian, I'm just going to gonna give you a little short introduction of your background, and then we'll obviously it's much better when you delve into it. Um, so, sure. Killian is an experienced triathlete who races at top of the age group in his field, has been on the podium across distances from sprint to Ironman events. We might delve into that because not all of our listeners might know exactly what sprint and different distances are when it comes to triathlon. He's completed the Ironman World Championships in Kona, Hawaii, the Ironman 70.3 World Championships and Challenge Championships events. And he is the youngest Irish triathlete to ever qualify for Kona. Um, so welcome, Killian. Uh, thanks, Tom. Appreciate you having me on. Um, so, Killian, before we get into all the triathlon stuff and how that all came about, just to go back to when you were growing up, did you have a sporting background or where did this all start for you? Yeah, so for me, my background was actually in the GAA. Um, so I grew up in Raffarnham and it wasn't really in my family as much. My mom's from Cork and maybe some of her relations grew up playing hurling in, in uh but for me, I kind of went to schools locally that had GAA hurling football teams in there. And that's where I first got my kind of love for the sport. Um, and it didn't take too long for me to realize that hurling was my preference of the two and also the one that I was kind of better at. So from the age of about eight, I think um, I was kind of all in, all in in, in the hurling game and um, kind of stuck with that so I went to St Mary's Boys School in Raffarnham that was a primary school we had some good strong teams there then secondary school went to Clashtaina again local school local to where I lived and good strong GAA team and my local club was uh, Ballyboden St Endas so I was surrounded with good teams good players good support networks from that sport uh, all the way up and just I absolutely loved it I was one of those guys that um the, the hurl was like an extension of my arm. Uh, everywhere I went, if I was going to school, I had it in my hand. If I was going out to my mates at the weekend, I had it with me. Um, you could say that I was kind of obsessed with it. And I suppose that's probably uh, a characteristic that sticks with me in, in everything I do. That when, when I decide to do something, I'm kind of all in. It's either all or nothing. And uh, so, yeah, that's hurling was where I started off with. And um had some Killian, good sec- just, just just sorry for cutting across you just on yeah. that did that come did that hurling or gaa roots did that come from family brother sister or i kind of came from from the school um okay. so the primary and secondary schools i went to uh were schools where hurling and football were predominant sports um i actually went to a secondary school where we didn't even have pe um at the, at the time i was there but uh, our hurling teams were good and one of the benefits of that was I probably got more time off school than, than, than anyone else in terms of being on the different teams. Um, so yeah, it was, it was mainly this that I went to was the type of, um, dictated the type of sport that I got involved in. And to be honest, I'm kind of, 
I wouldn't have had it any other way. Um, I, I love the schools I went to. Um, great friends, great teachers, and great teams in in that school, and that's where the true some teachers that I had kind of instilled that passion for the sport, and some of them showed me that this is something I could be actually good at. Um, so it kind of came from the schools, really. And you played Killian to a pretty high level. Yeah. So when I got into it, I kind of um, I went in and I went again, like I said, I went all in on it, and um, with Bally Bowden, I kind of uh, I played from obviously kind of underage, under 14, under 16, minor, all the way up to the, the senior A team. Uh, won a few championship events along the way. Um, then with the Dublin team, um, I was part of the Dublin team growing up as well, again, from under 14 all the way up to under 21. Um, and then you'd have colleges as well. So when I got to college in UCD, I was part of the team there. So it's quite full on uh, as a, as a, an amateur sport. It's, it's quite full on and it requires a lot of, sacrifice a lot of commitment and dedication and um but yeah so i, I definitely I, I got involved quite heavily with it and it became quite consuming in in a positive way to start with that i loved training i loved racing um or sorry not, not, not racing that's what i do at the moment <laughs> i used to love uh we used every weekend we'd have a match or we'd, we'd travel down the country to play a team and it was good crack with the lads um, so I had some good success with club and county all the way up. And to be honest, then it was my last year of under 21. So when I was 21 years of age, um, I got to a stage where the enjoyment level was gone from the sport that training sessions were planned and just the dread. I didn't want to go training. I would have rather have done anything else. Um, I became aware of how much time it took up that I couldn't, plan things that training schedules and matches were fixed you had no control over structures um you couldn't really go on holidays because you'd be uh, missing out on big matches and you'd be dropped from teams um you couldn't really work a lot of sacrifices uh, a lot of sacrifices and once the, once the joy was gone i just I, I was in a tricky situation because if you were to tell me then back then that i wasn't going to play hurling later on in my life i would have told you i don't know what you're talking about that's stupid um, but it came to a stage where I couldn't picture myself continuing with it. So that was probably the first, one of the, the biggest decisions I had to make in my life at that time was making the decision to, to step away from the sport. And I remember actually making the call to my managers. <laughs> yeah. When I decided I was going to give it up or take a break. Um, I remember I was in my home and I went into the garage so no one could hear me. And I was pacing up and down the garage thinking, what was I going to say on the phone? And I was really nervous because um, this was, uh, it was going to be a shock to the managers. But I remember once I made the call and, and hung up, um, just that massive weight was lifted off my shoulders. And for the first time uh, that I could remember, I was actually free that I didn't have to, uh, there was no training I had to go to, or the weekends were free. I could go on holidays. I was, it was actually a, a really good feeling. And I knew it was the right decision to make at that time. Yeah, it, that's a very honest perspective of like, hearing that journey because I don't know from mainstream media sometimes we kind of see that GA is the be all and end all and people sacrifice as you say a lot of when a personal life and work life into the sport and Killian at that stage you were in your early 20s were you? Yeah so that stage was about 2021 um, when I finished up playing hurling yeah and what opened my eyes at that time was actually I went traveling so usually my summer is involved staying at home and playing matches and tournaments um, and this summer I got a chance to actually go traveling so 
um, I went into railing for a month with my current wife and uh, that was a big eye opener for me in all areas of life. Just the freedom of being able to throw all your stuff into a backpack and just go traveling. If you like the place you're in, you can stay a few extra days. If you didn't, you just packed back up, got on the train and moved to somewhere else. Um, and just that freedom, absolutely loved it. And when we came home from there, I was like, there's no chance I can go back to that uh, structured routine that I had no control over. So it was definitely a, a changing point in my life um, from, from that point of view. And um, you were studying at that time, Killian, or what was college? So college at that time, yeah. So I went on to study uh, physiotherapy in UCD. Um, and my interest from that actually probably came from some injuries I had over the years when I was playing hurling, that spending some time with physios, uh, I said, maybe this is kind of a, a career that would be suitable to me. So um, yeah, 2010, 2010, went to UCD to study physio, four-year degree, uh, got through it, got it done, qualified in 2014. And then... When I finished, I was unsure if, if this was what I actually wanted to do. Um, and at that time, from a job perspective, there wasn't many jobs going in Ireland. A lot of my classmates ended up going over to New Zealand or the UK. Um, and I just didn't want to, to travel to work at that time. So I actually ended up just taking the year out and kind of training and racing. And that's that's when I got into triathlon in particular. And um, Killian, what was it? Was it a you wanted to do a five k run? You wanted to do a marathon, or what led you into endurance racing? Yeah, so funny, funny thing that led me into it was actually one of the the worst injuries I had from hurling was I ended up dislocating my shoulder three times and had to get a stabilization surgery on it. Wow. And dur- during that time, I was out for maybe I was out of action from hurling for about eight months. And during that time, I got a bike and a turbo trainer from Wheelworks and I started doing turbo classes in the shop. And it's funny how things unfold in life, but that was where my introduction to the endurance sports happened. I I went in, did turbo classes. The turbo classes were two hours and absolutely loved it. And there was a group of us that that did the classes. And after maybe several weeks of doing the, the turbo sessions, we went out and we did a few rides outside. And I remember one of the first rides I did outside with the group was about 90 kilometers. And back then to me, that was massive. I was like, we cycled from the shop. We went into Kildare and we came back all on our, with our two legs on a bike. And I was like, that's mental. Um, that's when, when, when it's something new to you and something that you're not used to, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite, uh, intriguing to see how much you can actually do with your body. Um, so after that, when, when I saw how much I enjoyed that type of sport, again, dipped a bit of freedom with it as well. Um, I started getting into doing uh, cycling sportives. So cycling leisure events, really, where people race them, people go at their own pace. Um, so that was my kind of introduction to endurance sports, going out and doing some 100, 160-kilometer sportives around the country. Which and Killian, just on that, did you find there was still a bit of a competitive edge from the team sports of hurling to like doing a racing event on bike? Oh, yeah. I think the, the competitive uh, edge is always there. I think that's, that's ingrained in, in a person. Um, it's, it's definitely ingrained in me, and not just in sport, but in, in work or in business. And anything I do, that, that, that competitive nature is always there. So when I got into it, like with the hurling, 
I said, I enjoy this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go all in again. Um, so once, once I find something that I enjoy, I'm going to pursue it and, and see how far I can go with it. And Killian, just when it comes to the terms of your body, did you, did you notice your body changing from GAA to getting on a bike? Did you lose dramatic yeah. weight or did you gain muscle mass or how was that transition? Yeah, yeah so that's actually a good, good question and an interesting question. Um, so back when I was playing hurling, I, my position was kind of like center back, wing back. So I would have been uh, known as one of the bigger guys, kind of a heavy hitter. Um, and I probably, back then, I think I topped out at 95, 98 kilos and would have been in the gym maybe four or five times a week and hated running, hated anything that was endurance related. Um, could sprint for sure, but apart from that, I wouldn't have been known. I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't have been known as one of the fittest on the team. I would have been one of the strongest, but not the fittest. Um, also then, not only going into the endurance side of things and increasing training duration, training volume, um, what I ate and my thoughts on nutrition uh, changed by going to listen to someone talk about nutrition and it was actually it took place in in wheelworks and it was a guy called barry murray and the talk was on the low carb healthy fat way of eating and i went and listened to that and i was listening to that. this is mental this is completely different to what i've been taught uh, growing up in the ga background but i was like i want to give it a go um so I adapted, this is like that 2014, 2015, um, and I adapted uh, that lower carb, healthy fat way of eating um, and stuck to it quite diligently. And what I noticed, not only number one, did my weight drop down, um, weight dropped down from 95, 98 over time to about 80 kilos. I'd hover in around 80 kilos. So overall weight went down. Uh, muscle mass probably went down a bit just due to I lost that bulk that I didn't need once I started running and, and cycling that naturally kind of adapted. Um, but the biggest things that happened then was my actual endurance improved massively. I was able to recover an awful lot quicker by implementing that way of eating. Um, so massive body transformation. I probably would have went from being quite top heavy when I played hurling to, uh, more more stronger legs or more defined legs than uh, working on the upper body so definitely a big body transformation and Killian just on the fact when you were finished your studies for a physio and you started getting into your cycling races your bike races was did physio kick off you or were you making a few quid from it or what was that start like yeah so uh, when I graduated from college I took the year out and trained and raced and kind of enjoyed myself did a little bit of um massage and stuff on the side but not too much of it um, and then after a year i was kind of like right I, I need to make money like if i want to to do anything or go anywhere i need to make money um so in 2000 and the end of 2015 uh, i decided i'd right i'd give the physio a go i'd kickstart that career um so, so your actually, own business out on your own no, no. So okay. uh, before I started my own, I, I went to do an internship in the sports surgery clinic in Santry. And this was uh, an eye opener, really good learning experience. Um, the internship was about eight months in duration and you get paid 50 euro a week for that. So I was putting in maybe, maybe 50, 60 hour plus weeks. 
So you're worked hard, you had long weeks, uh, you were working some weekends and for, for little to no pay. But what I learned during there was number one, how a good business is run. Uh, number two, um, that's, a, that's a time where I started learning and listening to audiobooks and reading up on entrepreneurship and uh, ways I could get myself out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I learned a lot of the processes of systems and how things are put in place and can run well. So I learned a lot about physio. I learned a lot about what I don't want to end up doing. And it, it actually it catapulted me to build a, a following for myself that as, as a way out. So while I was doing the internship there, I'd actually created a social profile as the triathlete physio. I was trying to build up an online presence for... So you got specific on that. You got really specific on your target audience. Exactly, yeah. Kind of got a, got a specific niche in terms of triathlon-related physio topics. So both as myself as a physio and as a triathlete, I think one thing that stands out over other kind of coaches or, or other people that are in that uh, environment is the understanding of the body uh, in, in relation to training side of things. So I definitely honed in on that audience and, and tried to develop that audience by just putting out some good content and um, trying to build up a, a, a potential uh, side business to be able to transfer out into. Um, so how that transpired then, uh, after the eight months of the internship, what you end up doing is you go head to head with your fellow uh, interns to to interview for a job. Wow. And yes, it's kind of cutthroat. But uh, I, I actually ended up doing the interview and I actually got offered the job and I took it. And this was um, my first ever salary or first full time job. Mm. And it was at this stage where I got into Ironman and the longer endurance events. And um, long story short, when I got that job, I think I was there maybe two to three months before I handed in my notice. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah. and the biggest things, the reasons behind that were um, the work there is kind of all or nothing. And for me, with sport or with work, I give everything. I give I give my best at what I do. If it's training, if it's work-related, I'll be there and deliver uh, whenever I have to. Uh, but it got to a stage where both training and work were getting affected, and I was struggling to perform as well as I could on both fronts. So I actually scheduled a meeting with my senior just to see, tell him the situation and to see, is there anything we can do to, to fix this or to, to make this work on both ends? And when that was kind of shut down straight away, that made my decision there and then to, to hand in my notice and to, to move things into my own hands. Um, so I, I, like I said, I learned a lot from my business side of things there in terms of how things are run well, but also what I don't want to end up doing. So I, I feel quite privileged experiencing that kind of hardship because it gave me an early option and it gave me an early education on where I could actually go with my career and, and what I wanted to actually do. Um, so yeah, I, was think, a- I think there's um, a cutting across you again there, but uh, I think there's huge value in that. I think there might be a, a few people listening who are maybe trying to start their own thing and just hearing sometimes the sacrifices you need to take in life and in business or whatever passion you're going for and hearing you work those hours to get 50 quid a week 
But what the good thing about the big thing I take away from that is you were sharpening your toolbox. You were finding yeah. out what's working and what's not working and how you yeah. can add value. So I think there's massive in that. And a lot of people sometimes think, oh, they maybe look at Killian or someone else or someone like yourself and they, geez, they just click their fingers and they just have a business overnight. But I think it's, it's little nuggets like that that really, really stick out. But just Killian, before we get into the triathlon and how you get into Ironman, if someone's listened to this, can you explain to someone what's, how a triathlon works and the different probably races and distances? Yeah, of course. So a triathlon is a multi-sport that involves swimming, cycling, and running. And it goes from short distance to long distance. And short distance is what we call a sprint triathlon, where you do a 750-meter swim, 20-kilometer bike, and a 5-kilometer run. Um, Olympic distance is the next level up, which is a a 1,500-meter swim, 40K bike, and 10K run. Then you have a half Ironman or 70.3, which is a 1.9K swim, a 90K bike, and a half marathon. And then the full Ironman distance, which is absolutely booming uh, in Ireland at the moment. It's just the, the like amount of people for involved. this year myself. So. Yeah, see, that's your training away, all right, which is good. No, yeah. no excuses during these weeks to, to keep off the turbo training and everything. Hopefully it's still going with this COVID-19. Anyway, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I know, I know. Um, but yeah, so that, that full distance that you're preparing for, obviously that's going to include 3.8K swim, 180-kilometer bike, and then a marathon to, to finish off. So for people that aren't involved in triathlon, like that sounds outrageous. Um, if, if you're not into endurance sports, it sounds like, are you serious? You do that all in one go or all in one day. Um, but I think the, the lesson to learn from that is it, it's, it sounds outrageous when you're new to it or you have no experience to it. But once you dive into it and delve into it and, and train and prepare for it it's it becomes achievable and realistic because you train for uh your, the specifics of your event or you, you do the work that needs to be done for the specifics of what you're trying to achieve so um in triathlon what i found is i loved the long distance just for whatever reason it just it drew me and attracted me i loved putting in the big big long uh, training sessions um as opposed to the the, the short or the, the the all-out efforts i found I, I i was quite strong at the long stuff um when it comes to the triathlon swimming is is pivotal the shorter the distance the more important swimming is and if you're not a swimmer or if you're not coming from a swimming background chances of doing really well at sprint or olympic is is limited whereas when it comes to a half ironman or a full, or a full ironman um, if you're talking about being 5, 10, 15 minutes behind in the swim, you still have 180 kilometers on the bike and a full marathon to try and catch whoever you want to catch. Um, so it definitely gives a lot of people a good scope to, to see what they can achieve themselves over that distance. Um, yeah. And Killian, just to go back when you were uh, doing your first few bike races and you kind of got a really big appetite for this, um, did it just come around where you're like, I want to try this track and I want to get into swimming, I want to get into running or how did that come about? Yeah. So 2014 was my first year of, of doing triathlon and I wanted just to experience it and, and get as much racing as I could to see what it's like, if I'm any good or can I actually do it. So I spent the season uh, doing some sprint races and Olympic races and learning from every race. Like it's a sport where everything every training session you do and every race you do you're going to learn something from it and take with you um it's, it's one of those sports where it's very rare you'll have a perfect day or a, a race where everything goes exactly as you planned 
So it, it teaches you a lot of how to adapt and overcome certain obstacles and challenges along the way. And I absolutely loved it. First year doing it, I couldn't get enough of it. For, for anyone who's started triathlon or has gotten into it, and if you think back of your first race and when you cross that finish line, that buzz that you get, it's like you can't put money on that. It's uh, Once you do it, you're, you're hooked on it. And uh, I, 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 lo- I just love racing. So that was where my appetite for the sport came, was learned a lot from doing some short distance races in the first year. The following year, I ended up actually just focusing on bike racing for the year. Um, there was a few of us that, that spent the season racing to see where could we get with some racing just on the bike. And it was a good opportunity to, to practice and improve my biking, bike skills. Um, and to be honest, out of the three disciplines, the bike is probably my strongest one and one I enjoy the most. So I definitely developed uh, a lot more as a cyclist that year. And then it wasn't until that was 2000, 2015. It wasn't until the end of 2015 and um, just after the summer, I had kind of I heard more about this Ironman and what it was, and I was like, Jesus, that's that sounds pretty epic. Um, I think I'll give that a go. And that again, that could be me me being naive or oblivious to how big a challenge it is. But I was like, oh, I I, I want to give this a shot. So I did something that I I wouldn't do now, and I wouldn't recommend people to do now. Um, at the end of 2015 after we finished bike racing. So I hadn't swam or run in all year. And then like, I decided I'd do the double marathon uh, with maybe two to three months notice and crammed in marathon training in that time and got it, got, got it done, but definitely not, not the way you want to prepare for a marathon. But the main reason I did it was to see, okay, if I can get the marathon in my legs mentally and physically experience what it takes, then it kind of puts you in good shape for uh, training or preparing for an Ironman the following season. Um, and it was at that time then, actually, people had been talking about, or I'd heard people talking about Kona and the Ironman World Champs in Hawaii. So I heard about it and I was like, okay, what's this? I must check it out. So I YouTubed it and I looked at the, if, if anyone, I'm sure obviously you've seen it yourself, the, any of the footage that you see from Kona on, on YouTube is the place looks like unreal. It's, it's just, it, it's the pinnacle of the sport, but in terms of the, the athletes that are there, the location, I was like, this is, this, this, this looks like a magical place. And coming back to being naive or oblivious, I was like, right, how do you get there? What do you have to do to get there? Um, so I heard obviously you have to qualify for it. There's, there's certain slots in everyone's age group. So I remember checking my age group. So I was 18 to 24 age group at that time and had to decide then what race would I do or, or where would I try and get there. So at that time, obviously money, not great. I wasn't really earning that much. So I was like, right, uh, logistically, probably the best option is somewhere maybe in the UK or so where I can get the ferry over, bring my bike and everything I want with me. So uh, Ironman UK July 2016 was the, the target and that's where I set my, my goals of I'm going to go there, I'm going to race, I'm going to podium, I'm going to get a Kona slot and again people now That's a big been... mouthful there, like that's like going from the guy who's doing well on his bike, he's done a marathon and then you're talking about podium so what was, you, you mentioned a little bit earlier the mental aspect like People think of tri- triathlon as the distance, but how important is the mental game, and especially for something like podium? Yeah, so the, the mental aspect of it is huge. And to be honest with you, I particularly in triathlon, I'd prioritize 
the, the mental side of things over the physical side of things. The reason being, triathlon isn't a sport where the most skilled or talented person is necessarily the best. It's the sport that will reward hard work, consistent effort, and, and smart training. Um, I'm not a swimmer. I'm not a cyclist. I'm not a runner. Um, I never was. But it, it, when I'm working or training in, in triathlon, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to put as much effort and work into it as I can. Within reason, I like to be smart. My two main things are being as consistent as you can be and being smart with how you do it. Um, so the longer the distance you're training or racing, the more important the mental aspect is because you could come, you could take two people that are racing. Say if we took two people racing an Ironman and on paper, person A could be a better swimmer, a better cyclist, a better runner in terms of faster or stronger. Person B on paper might be slower across all three. But on race day in an Ironman, if person A, who technically speaking should come away with a faster time, goes out too hard or mentally gives in in the race, he could come back finishing away behind person B, who had that motivation, that determination, that grit to keep going, to not give in, to not walk. So mental toughness and the mental grit uh, takes priority for me um, in, in this type of sport. Um, Skill and talent is not as relevant uh, if you are mentally strong to to withstand suffering, really. And how did on that on that going to the UK? How did that race go for you? Yeah, so Ironman UK. So that was my first Ironman, and when I was training for that, so I was training for that while I was doing the internship in Santry. So this is where I learned and had to learn how to be smart with my training time. So. I was doing an internship where I was working long hours, 50, 60 hour weeks, and I'd signed up for the Ironman and I told everyone about it. So I was like, I have this race I'm preparing for. Now my time is very limited. How am I going to make this work? So I had to try and figure out how can I do this? So um, doing a lot of research myself, talking to a lot of athletes and coaches as well, I figured out how I could be smart with my hours available. So I, on average, I had about 10 hours I could put in each week. And that was me being able to be consistent this week, next week, the following week. I had about a seven or eight month build um, up to it. And if I look back on that training, there was rarely a session I missed because I didn't overdo it. I didn't overcook myself. I managed uh, my training load according to what time I had available. And as, as it always comes back to, it was consistent. So coming up to that race, I was making progress in swim, bike, and run all across the board um, in races and training events. So going into Ironman UK, one of the things that I'll always remember is the, the night before the race, I took out just a, a piece of paper and I wrote down my race plan in terms of I'm going to swim this time, I'm going to bike this time, I'm going to run this time. Uh, based off uh, numbers and that I've done in training and stuff. I'm, I'm, for people who know me, I'm, I'm big into the data and the numbers. And it gave me a plan in my head and it gave me a uh, structure to my day that I didn't care about what anyone else was doing. Um, this is what I was capable of on the day and it allowed me to pace myself accordingly. So uh, on the day then, how the race went. So the race was like, I'm not lying when I say this, but I wasn't nervous. Um, I was actually really, really excited because 
the confidence you have when you've put the training in and you know you're in as best shape as you could be for the time you had. I was there to enjoy the day and just perform as, as best as I knew I could. And I ended up uh, doing the race. The swim went well, bike went well, uh, run, a few mishaps on the run. One of the lessons learned was uh, don't take Red Bull from the dancing Red Bull girls on the run course if you haven't taken it before. Um, Back to be back with a few stitches on the run, but uh, I got back going again and crossed the finish line and managed to take third place in my age group. Um, and so again, I went in with big goals. And again, they could have been I could have been just talking to my arse when I when I when I put these goals out there. But I managed to get on the podium, and in the end, I managed to miss out on the Kona slot by just one slot. Um, so I finished that race thinking. Happy or were you disappointed at that? Or yeah, so if I'm being honest, I, I, I was really happy because it was my first race. I, I said I went out there with big goals, and to get on the podium in my first Ironman and collect one of those cool M dot trophies, I was delighted. Um, on the other side, then I was like, I was only one place away from actually getting to Kona, um, so I was like, I need to go again. It was I was 24 at the time, so. If, if I was to race again that season, it would have been my last chance to race as a 24-year-old. Um, so I, was like, like, I, I recovered really well from the race and I was like, I need to go again. I'm, my fitness is there. I know I can do it. I recovered really well. Um, what, what other race can I get in? So we, we left that race and I, I spent the week just thinking about it and mulling it over, not trying to be uh, rash with any decision-making and it ended up coming down to uh, being Ironman Wales as kind of one of the ones that was left available to race. And also logistically, we could get the ferry over, drive over, and, and me and Grace could go to the race. Um, the other thing is, is playing to your strengths. So cycling being my strength, Ironman Wales is, a, is a known for being one of the toughest bike courses. Um, so I was like, yeah, this, this is my kind of course. So... Ironman Wales again goals are still the same get on the podium try and get that Kona slot and this was a funny race because um swim went really well had a great swim the bike I was actually trucking it on the bike um I was I was feeling really strong on the bike and we got to up until 170k into the bike I was winning my age group by about 20 minutes but at this stage I suffered a blowout in my front tire and ended up having to make a split second decision of keep going. So we were on a descent uh, coming around a bend and it was either go straight into the wall or try and hit the brakes and stop. So I had to hit the brakes and I ended up coming over the handlebars and hitting the ground really hard. Wow. And for anyone who has, has had a crash on the bike or has come off the bike, it's, it's quite a shock, quite a shock to the system. And once I kind of gathered my thoughts, I, I dragged myself over to the side of the road and obviously first things first, check the bike is the bike okay and not yourself the bike <laughs> once the bike check if the bike was okay so the bike was okay apart from the the, the puncture and uh, i was okay i was i was bleeding and kind of bruised but everything was able to, i was able to move everything so i was like i didn't break anything um so i said about trying to fix the fix the puncture and obviously with the shock and everything i spent about 20 to 30 minutes trying to change it and breaking tire levers and everything. And eventually I find I got a tube in and put the CO2 canister in. And as soon as the air went in, it came straight back out. So obviously oh I'd punctured God. the tube and I'd used up all my spare supplies. So I was like, ah, shit, um, what can I do? This is, I'm going to have a DNF next to my name at this race because I'm just stuck here. So 
again, funny story, but uh, there was a, 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 a spectator next on the side of the road and I asked could I borrow her phone because uh, the only person that was over with, at the race with me was my wife, Grace. So I gave her a call and told her the story. I was like, listen, I'm, I'm 10K out from transition and I can't do anything. I can't go anywhere. So like, I don't know what to do. And she, after talking with some of the people at her home, she said, just get on the bike and just cycle in transition. You have to get back to the hotel anyway, because that's where I am. So um, I, 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 that was the only decision I had to make. I did. I couldn't picture myself finishing uh, or not finishing the race and going home with no medal, no t-shirt, or no or having that those three letters DNF next to my name. I, I couldn't do it. So hopped on the bike, cycled back the last ten k, and there's still some hills there. So going uphill is okay, but uh, if you've ever descended on a flat tire, it's very very dodgy and. I remember having to clip out one leg every time we went to descent. I had to clip out one leg to try and keep myself balanced. Wow! Um, but I, I managed to get back to transition too, and I got in and gave my bike, uh, racked my bike, and I said, "Okay, I'm moving. I'm here in, in T2. Um, if if I have to walk this marathon uh, just to get to that finish line, that was it." So the goals or the the plan had had drastically changed. But I was my 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 only focus was get to that finish line, whatever means necessary. So I managed to get going, uh, get onto the run course and just tough it out to the end. And I think, again, that's a sign of where that mental toughness comes in, that um, it was just me persevering to get to that finish line. And as, as one, of, one of the questions I hate people asking me is, uh, how, like, what did you do in Wales? What time did you do? Or, or et cetera. So that, that, that's irrelevant to me because my, when I got to that finish line, so I, I ran the marathon, got to the finish line and crossed the finish line and managed to hold on to third place in the age group and, wow. luckily, and luckily managed to, to get my Kona qualifying, qualifying slot there. So Even with although, all of that? Even with all of that. So the, like to actually a, think, I just have this <laughs> image of you making a phone call with a punctured tire <laughs> on some hillside in Wales. With and blood dripping like, down my side of my face. <laughs> oh, it's just, it's, um, well, when you think of it, I just thought you were going to say your race was over and then for you to still get a podium to go to Kona is, yeah, the, I, like just even coming off your bike, I've come off my bike a couple of times and not bad, but that panic and that shock that sets in. Yeah, it's a, you get the shakes and it's, 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 a, it, it's not a nice feeling, um, but one of the one of the pieces of advice I give to anyone who's who's doing an Ironman is priority number one is get yourself to that finish line in, in whatever way you can worry about everything else after that like you can get caught up thinking about how are my mates doing or if there's people you're racing against how are they getting on whereas it's irrelevant Ironman's such a long day you don't know what's happening to anyone else so your goal is get to that finish line and then deal with the shit after that yeah. um so yeah a story it's a it's a it's a fun it's a good story to have as you're qualifying how you qualified for Kona in terms of the performance or the results it's not what I wanted in terms of time etc that but that's a lesson in adapting to the current situation and just getting it done regardless so that was that was where I, I got my my slot for Kona anyway brilliant and what was Kona like for you did it tick all the boxes and when you got there yeah so Kona 2017 uh, was well, just epic. So all the things, I'd, all the movies and, and videos I'd watched on YouTube and all the clips, uh, it's exactly what it looks like on, on the TV. 
Um, I remember we when we flew into Kona and the airport is outside. So like that was a novelty in itself. You're you're get off the airplane to go get your bags and you're still outside in that heat and in the lava fields. Um, and then we were going down to our apartment. So lucky for me, qualifying in Wales in 2017 meant I got a, a Kona slot for the following year. So in Wales 2016, I got the Kona slot for 2017. So we had the year to prepare physically and financially for uh, Kona. Ironman ain't cheap, that's all I know. No, that's for sure. And uh, so luckily we got we got good uh, location for our accommodation. So we stayed on Leahy Drive, which is uh, the main strip near the, the run start, or near the swim start. And um, so when we were going to our apartment or our little house the, the first day, I'll never forget it is is just rolling our bags down towards it and there's Lionel Sanders comes out on his TT bike just flying past and I was like that's pretty cool like he's one of my idols and he's just there riding past me and then we went in got checked in went out for lunch and then we were sitting in Lava Java having our lunch looking out at the sea and who comes running by there's Lionel Sanders running by uh, obviously off one of his mega epic brick sessions um so it's it's a really surreal experience that it's it's a really humbling experience because you're there with all the best athletes um everyone's tanned everyone's actually shredded male and female and all the all the pros are there just amongst everyone everyone's in the same boat there's no elitism or um everyone's friendly everyone's on such a good buzz it's 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 a it's a mental mental place during that Kona week and Killian it, probably what I see sometimes is, do you enjoy it? Because I see a lot of triathletes that they're so concentrated on the times and, as you say, on the day in any race, little things that are out of their control can go wrong. But do you enjoy it? Yeah, brilliant. Really good question. And 100%, I love training. I love racing. Um, obviously, I, I when I train and when I race, I race to perform. But this is a sport that you, you need to enjoy it. The amount of time that you spend training and racing, if you're not enjoying it, um, it's going to have such a negative impact on other areas of your life. And one thing I've learned and one thing I've seen um, over the since I got into the sport is how stuck people can get in terms of their mindset that some people are just so honed in on trying to get a certain time or qualify for a certain race and it becomes their be all and end all. And I think that's not the right approach to take. The way I like to try and think of it is number one, you have to enjoy your training because you do so much of it as a triathlete across swim, bike and run. But number two, everyone is in the same boat that we're here to try and make ourselves better, increase our own performance. Can we swim faster, bike faster, run faster? And that. When it comes to race day, you're just trying to beat yourself. Can you improve yourself in the last time? If you have a really good performance, let that result dictate what you're going to qualify for, etc. Whereas I think when people get too honed in on the outcome as opposed to the performance, it takes away from the overall enjoyment. So definitely, if, if you don't enjoy the sport, if you don't enjoy training, I think it's maybe you might be in the wrong sport. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I just find sometimes um, when you do races i won't mention any anyone's names but like <laughs> so, sometimes people are like what's your time what's your time what's your time and i'm yeah. like 
fuck off in the nicest way possible. I just did whatever distance triathlon and I completed it. And I yeah. think it, it's actually really refreshing to hear you say that and about enjoying it and perform. So Killian, just to go back to the business aspect of you, you were doing the physio and for triathletes, how did it come about getting a studio? Yeah. So, um, when I started as a triathlete physio, I set up a, a, a physio room in, in Wheelworks bike shop. And like that, I was, I was dealing with triathletes and some of the general population on a, on a physio basis, but with say pro- probably from just results that I've gotten in races and, and say some of the, the content I was putting out, people kind of heard about me and, and learned that I was actually a triathlete myself as well. So they came and asked about coaching and um, that side of things. So it opened up a different avenue from a business point of view. Um, so that's how the coaching kind of kicked off was the demand was there. And I, I, the lessons I learned in applying things and learning things from my own training and seeing how well it can, how, how well you can perform on it. See, a lot of people think when it comes to Ironman that 15 hours, 20 hours, you need to be putting in big hours each week to to do well whereas you don't um my, my claim to fame is that qualifying for Kona off an average of 10 hours a week and that's not me boasting or, or um bragging it's it's me being an average joe who was found out the optimal way to train for me and be consistent with it and i was able to get some really good results there, there was nothing to say that i was going to be good at triathlon i just was smart, consistent, and did the work. And, and that's as simple as it can be. So I really enjoy passing on and educating and working with others um, from that side of things because, like you said, I work with people of all levels. I work with people who are starting triathlon, maybe doing their first sprint, people who are doing Ironman and are trying to chase times, or people who haven't exercised in years and want to get fit and healthy. And my buzz comes from... Uh, figuring out what their goals are and then giving them the the guidance the advice and the tools to to work towards achieving those goals and i don't care if someone if i work with someone and they manage to qualify for kona or if they manage to complete the first 5k that's a massive goal for them and it's it's, it's the same it means the same to me uh, regardless of what level it's at so that's where the kind of the coaching business was originated or where it started from and then the studio so the the process behind the studio. So when I started cycling initially, back when I was still playing a bit of hurling and did the turbo classes, uh, I absolutely loved it. And I said, okay, this, the quality you can get done on a turbo trainer is really good. But I knew that I could make it so much more, so much better and more effective. Um, and this comes down to being effective and efficient with your time. Uh, obviously, age group athletes have limited time to train with work family kids any other commitment so i was like okay i want to try and create an environment where we can optimize their training time so the idea for the studio then came about because i train with power and i train with heart rate and uh, like that i use the data and the main reasons i do that is because i can be specific with my sessions and i can get as much quality as i need uh without having to put in the big massive hours or volume that most people don't have so there's two kind of methodologies I like to think of. It's um, trying to get the give the minimum dose for the maximum effect, but also being fit and fresh rather than fit and fatigued. Um, so when it comes to the studio, I was like, I'd love to have uh, a studio where 
Um, everyone has access to power meters, heart rates, where they can come in and train to their own ability as a group uh, in that kind of group environment. So I remember it was uh, started January 2018. Um, that December, I decided I was going to start a studio or open up a studio. Um, there was no studio there. It was it was an old office, an old storage room that was just full of junk. So um, the way I kind of kicked it off was I put up a post saying 8th of January 2018, Turbo Classes are starting and got people to sign up. So it gave me a deadline to get up to those rooms, clear them out, break down walls and create a studio. And I really enjoyed that process because it was my first kind of experience of creating something for myself or creating something myself um, that people had signed up for and that people were expecting a start date for. So the studio kicked off in January 2018 and we started off with just the old turbo trainers because obviously from a financial point of view, starting off from scratch, you have to start from somewhere, make use of what you have available. Um, and then not long into there, March 2018, um, I invested in smart turbo trainers. So all the turbo trainers had built in power meters, uh, speed and cadence sensors. And that meant that I could create a studio and I did create a studio that tailored everything to any ability. All levels and abilities were welcome. So if you were someone who's just new to cycling or if you're someone who's trying to qualify for Kona, everyone comes in and gets tested and gets their training zone set up specific to them so that when we train together as a group, everyone's working to their own ability. So everyone gets the same benefit from the sessions. And that was the, the logic behind setting up the studio. I wanted to create that environment for age group athletes to, to train together, to be able to motivate each other for those hard sessions, uh, regardless of ability. There's no, no elitism or um, no one's better than anyone else. Everyone's there working towards the same goals. Um, so luckily that's, that's grown quite well. So um, over the past year or two, um, I've been able to put the head down and grow the business. And just at the end of December, start of January, uh, opened up as one of the first Watt Bike Studios in Ireland. Um, so that has been a really, um, proud moment for me but also um, a really exciting moment because um, the studio has grown a good bit the buzz has grown and just one of the things I've learned with the current situation now with the obviously the coronavirus is I'm getting some messages from people saying I, I never thought I'd say it but I'm missing those uh, those those hard hard group sessions in the studio because I'm sure you know yourself the hard sessions are really hard to motivate yourself for when you're on your own or sometimes you mightn't feel up to it. Whereas when you've got uh, somewhere to go or when you've got a group or some buddies that you're going to do the session with, you always get the hard work done. You'll always be able to, to motivate yourself to get it done because if John next to you hasn't, hasn't given in or hasn't broken yet, you're not going to be the first one to give in. So I think that's one of the biggest things that um, I enjoy from the studio is the group mentality, uh, the group buzz and everyone motivating each other. And Gillian, on that, um, you can hear the passion for coaching people and the passion like for helping others in your business. When it comes to business, is there anything you don't like about business? Uh, yeah, there is. So obviously, I don't really, I don't have a business background. Um, I did business and accounting for the Leaving Cert, but that means nothing now. Um, and I've had to learn a lot along the way. So one of the things, one of the things I, I hate or don't like is say like the, the financial side of things or the account side of things that 
oh, I'm useless to that stuff. Luckily, I've got an accountant working with me now that uh, can, can help me out with that stuff. Um, and I think that's a lesson for anyone. If, if you can outsource uh, to people who are good and know what they do, do it. It's, it's, it's worth, the, worth the investment. Um, so that's one area I dislike. Um, another area, I don't actually dislike it, but I just have had to learn so much about it is um, all the online stuff, like the, the social media marketing, all of that kind of stuff. Um, completely new to me like naturally I'm, I'm quite an introvert and I prefer to to just to, to work hard in silence and let the results do the work but when I started my business and wanted to try and grow it and, and get the word out there I had to learn how to put myself out there more um, which was a struggle and, and a fear because public speaking I hated I didn't like any of that kind of stuff I'd rather just kind of keep to myself but this was something I had to learn to, to, in order to grow the business. So um, by being able to put yourself into those situations and expose yourself to those fears or those, those uh, areas you feel weak at or feel poor at, that's where you grow. Um, so things I did to combat that was I, I organized talks in the shop, in the studio, um, started putting up some videos on social media and these are things that I didn't want to do or, or was afraid to do but once you start doing it they, they you become afraid of them less and less and um, that that fear or that anxiety never goes away fully but you learn to deal with it better and better the more you do it yeah absolutely listen Killian we're, we're getting through a lot here we're flying through this Um, I just I kind of ask any of the guests have been on uh, on the podcast is have like what's during your journey so far and you're continuing to grow obviously what's have you gotten any pieces of advice like best piece of advice you've ever gotten yeah one of the best pieces of advice i could give to anyone is to do it if you're if you're thinking about doing something or if there's something that's really a passion of yours and uh, you're on the fence of geez i don't know if i have the money to do it or i don't know if if i'd be good enough to do it I think one of the biggest things you can do is to start, make, make a start at it. If, it. if you're passionate about it and you really um, are enthusiastic about it and you want to do this, you have to start. You could wait too long to, to wait for the perfect opportunity or wait for, uh, I might have more money in a few months or anything like that. I think just make a start is one of the best things you can do and you won't look back. If you're, if you're determined to make it work, you, you'll never look back. Brilliant. And you mentioned earlier about sharpening your toolbox. Is there any book or podcast recommendations you'd give? Um, so, yeah, I like to listen to a lot of audiobooks. I find it's the, it's the easiest way to fit into daily life. Um, my, my favorite book at the moment is The 5am Club by Robin Sharma. Um, if, I don't know if any of your listeners have read it, but it's I'm a morning person and for anyone else who's a morning person or would like to become a morning person, it's a really good book to, to read or to listen to. Um, it, it, the whole moral of the story is uh, if you can own your morning, you'll elevate your life. Um, I like the, the, the time in the morning where you have the, the quiet and, and time to yourself to focus on you, maybe focus on uh, the things that you want to do for yourself or spend some time thinking about um, ways to grow your business or even just getting some exercise in before a, a, the busy day kicks off when everyone else is up or you're gone into work and things could get away from you. Um, so that's definitely my, my favorite book at the moment. Um, and just a, a, a podcast that I, that I like to listen to is um, 
the MFCEO podcast by Andy Frisella. Um, it's a really good podcast to teach you or get you thinking about taking ownership of your life. It's, it's all about you being the CEO of your life. And uh, a good thing, one of the things actually that I want to say to you is the name of your podcast, Make It Happen. I think that's a, it's a really good name because if you if there's something that you want to do, uh, regardless if it's sport or in business or whatever it is, if it's something you want to do, then you can make it happen. You just have to decide to do it and start working towards it. It may take six months, it may take six years, but if it's something you want to do, you can make it happen, regardless of who you are or where you're at in your life. So fair play on picking a good name for it. Absolutely. Cheers, man. Appreciate it. And just to finish off, Killian, um, where can we find you on social or stay connected with yourself? Yeah, so um, my personal social page is um, I'm on Facebook, obviously Killian Moffat, and Instagram at Killian Moffat. Um, and then for WhatsApp Studio and Coaching, we've got a Facebook page and an Instagram page. Um, and then also there's obviously personal website, just KillianMoffat.com and our WhatsAppStudio.com website. So Instagram and Facebook are probably most active at the moment. So putting out some content there. Also, if, if any of your listeners um, take something from today or have any questions or want to chat about anything, um, feel free to hit me up. I'd be more than happy to, to have a conversation with them. Absolutely. And I'm just going to finish off myself. A lot of people ask me sometimes, how do I pick the guests and stuff like this? And you, you've highlighted throughout the whole podcast. The, probably the good thing is I know Killian through my fiance, who he coached to do an Ironman. She completed her Ironman in Barcelona last year, which is an amazing achievement. But Ooh. Killian reached out to me. And this is just for anyone listening is like, just ask. Like, if you don't ask, you're never going to know. And like, I'm delighted. I've gotten a huge amount of value from recording this today and having a great conversation. But like, him having his get up and go to reach out and ask to be on the podcast, I thought was was really good. So uh, props to you for that, Gillian, my man. Yeah, appreciate that, Tom. So the worst uh, you listen, can say is no. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly, exactly. But um, listen, my man, I appreciate it. Thanks for your time and best of luck and stay safe in these current times. Yeah, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Nice Cheers, Gillian. Bye-bye.